Great, thank you, Lee. Um, If you could grab a Bible, those of you who are here, if you're watching on the live stream, please do grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be reading from verses 21 to 35 together. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. So we're continuing our series today on the Lord's Prayer. Each week we take a line from the Lord's Prayer along with a passage of Scripture and ask God in prayer to teach us afresh to pray. Today we're looking at forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we're going to use these verses from Matthew 18 to help us think through some of that stuff. But as we have been doing at the start of each talk in this sermon series, can I invite you to stand and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. These words will come up on the screen. So let's say this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Please do take a seat. Well, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer for the past few weeks together, and it's been quite a journey so far. We've been reminded, haven't we, that the Lord's Prayer is not about what we need, but it's about who we need. Jesus teaches us to pray to a person, the Father, and he answers by sending a person, the Holy Spirit. We've been reminded that we, as we adore our Father in heaven, our whole lives are recontextualized 
in the light of who God is. We redis- we've discovered, haven't we, that our needs are recontextualized in the light of God's goodness to us. We've learned that although God knows everything about what we need, he still asks us to pray, give us today our daily bread, to pray for our needs so that we remember that all good things come from God and from God alone, that he is sovereign and in control of our lives. And then last week, Lee encouraged us to pray for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as in heaven and to keep praying and to not give up, to be like that persistent widow um, that Lee introduced us to last week in Luke's gospel. We should not give up praying. Now today, we've reached a line in the Lord's Prayer that goes like this, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. This idea that we've done something wrong and need to pray for forgiveness, that we need redemption in some way. And that we need to offer that to people around us. Now, this idea that we need forgiving or redeeming is an idea, I think, that seems to have gathered momentum, real momentum across the country over the past few weeks. This is a nation at the moment, a nation that is absolutely obsessed with football. It's amazing, isn't it, how many times I, just, I was in, walking through the city centre of Newcastle yesterday with a friend that had come up from London and we had a um, coffee together at Stack. And even at 10 o'clock in the morning, the amount of people just singing, it's coming home, it's coming home, football's coming home. It's, it was re- like, it's, it's really gripped the nation. And by the way, and the Archbishop of York shared this on social media yesterday. I don't know if any of you saw this. There's a um, Bible verse in Ezekiel, chapter 40, verse 18, where God promises that he will bring victory to his people, strong victory by the south gate. Now, if that's not a sign that football's coming home, I don't know what is. Now, one of the reasons that we seem to be so obsessed with this whole, you know, the whole England story at the moment is because of Gareth Southgate. So 25 years ago, England were in, their, in the last semi-finals that we played in, in the European Championships. And Gareth Southgate, who's now the England manager, was a player back then, and he took the decisive penalty that would basically ensure whether England would stay in the competition or go out. Now, Gareth Southgate missed that penalty that put England out of the Euros in that semi-final. Now, on Wednesday night, of course, Gareth Southgate masterminded the victory that saw us beat Denmark and has put us in the final today where we, pray, where we play Italy. And we pray that England will win and bring it home. Now, everybody in the press has been talking about Southgate's redemption story, that somehow Gareth Southgate had done something wrong 25 years ago and needed to redeem himself in order that he might be seen as good again or that he might be seen as the leader that we really need him to be, like he's done something to make up for the stuff that he did wrong. Now, I found this whole narrative that's been going on in the press really fascinating. And what it highlights deep down, of course, is that we love a good redemption story. And why do we love a good redemption story? Because we know that we need redeeming. That deep down, we know that we've done stuff wrong that God has to put right. To use biblical language, we have sinned. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
Now, to explore this whole thing of forgiveness and why we need to pray for forgiveness, we're going to go through these verses that I just read out to us from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. So please do keep that open in front of you. Let's start with verse 21. We'll work through these verses together. So Peter comes to Jesus and he wants to know, he asks Jesus, how many times, Jesus, do I have to forgive somebody? Is it seven times? Now, to understand why Peter asks this question, asks why, you know, why Peter asked Jesus if he should forgive seven times, we need to understand some of the teaching, some of the, uh, some of the Jewish teaching that was going around at the time that Jesus and Peter were having this conversation. So that there was some popular teaching going around from well-known rabbis of the day that you should forgive a brother or a sister three times if they sinned against you. So if somebody hurt you three times in the same way, the teaching was of the day, you need to forgive that person three times, which people thought was really generous. And if it happens again, if it happens a fourth time, that's it. Don't forgive them. They've had their three chances. Their, their luck is out. Now, Peter, of course, would have known this teaching. And Peter basically here is trying to be a little prideful and a little boastful and trying to say, Jesus, I know that the, you know, the, the religious teachers say that I, for, I should forgive three times. But what, what, uh, what, Jesus, do you think about me offering to forgive seven times? Peter's basically trying to show how righteous and how good he is. What if I forgive seven times, Jesus? Now, Peter was really expecting Jesus to be impressed with this. The Pharisees say three times, Jesus, but I say seven Look at how good and perfect I am. Now look at Jesus' response in verse 22. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. That's how many times, Peter, you need to forgive. Now some of you are already sat there probably doing the maths. What's 70 times seven? I think it's 490. Is that right? That's not good. 490. Does that mean that I have to forgive 490 times? Now, what Jesus is not saying here is that we need to keep a tally and a count. He's not saying, you know, if, if um, Mark sins against me 491 times, that then Mark is out and that I shouldn't forgive him again. Jesus is just picking a symbolically huge number to say that we should always forgive. But how can we always forgive? Because forgiveness is so hard, isn't it? Forgiveness is really, really difficult. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray this prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, the reason we need to pray about unforgiveness is that, as I've said, forgiveness is hard, but unforgiveness ruins life. One of the most common thoughts of people on their deathbed is, I just wish that I had made peace with that person. Or I wish that I'd said sorry to that person. Or I wish that I'd said to that person, I forgive you. Peace in relationships comes from forgiveness. Now, psychologists will tell you that unforgiveness makes us angry. It makes us compulsive, self-righteous, entitled. 
There's some studies that even suggest that unforgiveness makes us forgetful because we try and, you know, we try and push stuff and compartmentalize stuff in our lives so that we don't have to deal with it. Now, this is really challenging probably for all of us in the room today because forgiving others is hard work. It takes humility. It takes courage. And most of all, it takes prayer and the power of the gospel. Now, these lines in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Notice the order. We ask first for God's forgiveness. We remember that God forgives us. And then we remember that we too should show that forgiveness to other people. Now, in Matthew 18, this parable that Jesus tells, we see this played out. So back to Matthew 18. The first character that we're introduced to that I want to talk about um, from Matthew 18, the first character that we're introduced to in the parable is a king. The kingdom of God, Jesus says in verse 23, is like this king. In other words, the king in this parable is playing the role of God, is playing the role of Jesus, if you like. Now notice the king wants to settle his debtor's accounts. So the king is wanting to deal with all of those that owe him something. He's wanting to put it right somehow. Now, the second character we're introduced to is in verse 24, one of the king's servants. And this servant is brought before the king as he owes the king a debt. Now, this servant owes the king 10,000 talents. Your translation, as, it was, as we were reading this, you may have read in your translation 10,000 bags of gold. Now, you may be sat there today thinking, well, how much is exactly 10,000 talents? Is it a little bit of money or is it a lot of money? Well, in Jesus' day, a talent was the equivalent of 6,000 denarii, which was the equivalent of around 20 years' wages for the average paid worker. So for your average, you know, average worker... 6,000 denarii was 20 years' work. So 10,000 of that is obviously a lot of money, isn't it? It's a huge amount of money, even in today's terms. In fact, if we were to translate it into our economy today, the average salary in the UK, as we stand here today, is £28,000. If you times that by 20, you get £560,000. If you times that by 10,000, you get £5.6 billion. So this servant owed the king a lot of money. It was a huge debt. And what Jesus is trying to convey through this parable is that this servant owed the king a debt that was completely unpayable. There was no way that this servant would ever, in his own strength, be able to pay back to the king the debts that he owed. It was a debt that he just could not pay himself. It sounds like a debt that we owe, doesn't it? We know that we have done stuff, we've sinned against God, and we cannot pay that debt back ourselves. So this servant owes the king a huge debt. And look what happens next in verse 25. The king orders that this man pay the debt back himself, which of course is the king's legal right. And this debt is so big, as I've said, that the only way that this servant can possibly even begin to start paying back this debt is with his whole life. He owes the king everything that belongs to him 
and then some. Now, of course, this servant is in a terrible and desperate situation because of the debt that he's got himself in. And this leads to the servant in verse 26, throwing himself at the master's feet and saying, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me, king, and I will pay back everything. Now look at the extraordinary response from the king in verse 27. The king showed mercy and grace and completely cancelled this servant's debt. The king knew that this servant would never be able to pay back this debt. He knew it would be possible. And just as a sheer act of grace, the king completely cancels the debt. It's almost as if this king just rips up this IOU note of billions of pounds in front of the servant and says, you are free. You're free. Go and live your life. Now, we have a king, don't we? His name is Jesus. And Jesus is owed a debt by all of his subjects. And his subjects, of course, are you and me. We owe Jesus everything. Every wrong that we do is not just a wrong that we you know, commit against our brother or sister or our friend or our spouse or our parents or whatever it might be. Whenever we sin, it's also a wrong that we commit against Jesus. And the problem is that our debt quickly stacks up because we know deep down, don't we, that there's stuff in our, rights, in our lives that aren't right. You could probably just think back to this morning and you could probably list a few things that you've done that you know aren't right. Thoughts that you've had, attitudes that you have, things that you've said, things that you should have done that you haven't done. And we know, don't we, that we cannot possibly begin to pay that debt back ourselves. But here's the reality of what Jesus is communicating through this parable. If we, like the servant in the story, throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and cry, have mercy on me. Jesus, I know that I can't pay this debt back. Have mercy on me. Then Jesus will show us amazing grace. Now, this is what happened in this parable. And this show of generosity from the king should have changed this servant's life and his attitude towards others and forgiveness forever, shouldn't it? Imagine if you, if you owed somebody billions and billions of pounds and the person that you owed it to literally ripped up the debt in front of you. Do you think that that would change your attitude towards other people? Do you think that that would change your attitude towards people who owe you smaller sums of money. But does it change this servant's attitude? Well, look at verse 28. The servant goes straight out from this meeting with the king and he is completely free. Yes, he has to start again with nothing, but he is free. But this servant has not been transformed by this act of grace. And recognizing that he has to start his whole life again with nothing, he thinks, I'd better go out and find some cash. I'd better go out and find myself some money so that I can start again with, you know, a, a car that's okay or a house that's pretty good or whatever it might be. And so he remembers as he leaves this meeting with this king that there's a man who owes him 100 denarii, which isn't a lot, is it, in compared to what he owed the king? 
And so he goes out and he finds this servant and he says to this guy who owes him this money, pay me back immediately. Give me your money. Now in verse 29, this fellow servant falls to his knees and cries out for mercy and says, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Now notice this is exactly what this other servant said to the king. Have mercy on me. Now you would have thought that these words would have reminded this this servant of the words that he had just said to the king. You would have thought that he, he would remember that just minutes ago he was in exactly the same predicament. And you would have thought that this would have propelled him to show mercy. But he didn't do that at all, did he? Now, two quick things for us to note here. The difference between what was owed to the servant and what he owed to the king is huge. And of course, that's exactly the position that we are in before God. All of us, I suspect, feel that we've been wronged in our lives at some point. But it is nothing compared to the debt that we owe God because of all our sin. Secondly, when somebody asks us for forgiveness, it should remind us that we have stood before God and cried out for forgiveness from him. So who are we to hold forgiveness back? Now this wicked servant had completely forgotten the way that he'd been treated. And in verse 30 we read that this servant has the man who owed him this money thrown into prison. Now in verse 31, all of the other servants, all of his friends, all of his peers, see the way that this this servant has behaved and they're absolutely shocked. Remember, this servant has just had debt cancelled to the tune of nearly six billion pounds and he's not even let this other guy off a few quid. Now, of course, in, in, in his social settings, in his social circle, this would have been huge news. And the rumour mill, all the gossip, would have started immediately. Can you believe what he's done? Can you believe how wicked he is? Can you, do you know that he's been let off six billion pounds and yet he's not even let this other guy off a few quid? Now, in verse 32, the rumour mill gets all the way back to the top. It gets to the king. And the king hears about what has happened And of course, he's not best pleased. And so the king gets this servant in and basically says to him, you wicked servant. Now that sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? You wicked servant. The Greek word here means, literally means evil. You're completely evil and depraved. You wicked man. Verse 33, the king says to him, should you have not shown mercy as I showed you mercy? Of course, it's a rhetorical question and the answer should have been yes. And so in verse 34, this wicked servant, this unmerciful servant is thrown into prison to be tortured. This king is not going to put up with this kind of behaviour. Now again, just a few things to note from these verses. In verse 32, it gets back to the king about this, this um, wicked servant's lack of forgiveness, lack of cancelling um, this other person's debt. Now, in the same way, everything that goes wrong in our life, every little thing that we do, of course, gets back to God 
He sees all things. Jesus takes a note of everything that happens in our life. By his spirit, God is always with us. We cannot hide our sin from him. So if we think that we can just receive God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and then just do what the heck we like and not show that grace and mercy and forgiveness to others, we are very much mistaken. God sees everything. And one of the take-homes of this parable is if we, don't, if we don't treat people in the way that God has treated us, then God says of us that we are wicked, evil, and corrupt. Now, the king has every right, doesn't he, to throw this man into prison. Louis Samedes put it like this. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner is you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner is you. Now, a few other things just to say. We may think, I've sinned 2,000 times. So I know what I'll do. I will do 2,000 good things in order to make up for all of the wrong that I've done. And surely that will cancel out the debt. Surely if my good outweighs my bad, then at the end of time, God will see that and it will all be fine. Well, there's a few problems with that. The first is, if you've only sinned 2,000 times, please let me know your secrets and how you do it. Because most of us probably clock up that in a few hours. Secondly, we see, don't we, from all of Jesus' teachings that to try to repay God back so that we will be all right in the end is, of course, a sin in itself. Why is that a sin in itself? Well, because if you only try and do good things in order to pay back for all of the wrong that you've done, then the good things that you're doing aren't really good, are they? They're selfish. Because you're only doing those good things in order to earn your place in heaven or to make people love you or to make God love you. And so those good actions that you're performing, they're not good at all. They're all about you. They're completely selfish. If we behave like that, we're not really serving God or others. If I behave like that, I'm just using my good actions, good actions, in order to make God do what I want him to do. And what Jesus is communicating in this parable is that there is nothing that we can offer to God that would help with our salvation. There is absolutely nothing at all. The debt that we owe is far too big. The debt that we owe can only be wiped out by someone who has the right, the legal right, to cancel it. And of course, that is exactly what happens on the cross. All our sins are sins against God. And on the cross, Jesus takes all of the wrong in our life onto himself. He pays our debt and speaks over us like the king in this parable. You are free. see, Christianity, the message of the gospel is not self-help. 
and it never could be. As one person put it, I've forgotten who said this now, but it's about one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And the bread of life, who is Jesus Christ. Now Jesus ends this parable, look at verse 35 with me, by saying, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Now this is really strong stuff, isn't it? And does Jesus really mean here that if we forgive people, or sorry, does Jesus really mean that forgiving people is the only way by which we can be saved? Is Jesus kind of tricking us into some kind of works righteousness here, that we have to forgive in order to be forgiven by God? Well, no, because then Jesus would be saying that we have to earn our salvation. And Jesus spends his entire ministry teaching against that. What Jesus is actually saying here is the debt that we owe that could never be paid. That was the whole point of the parable. But that, that truth should completely transform us. And it should propel us to respond to those around us who've hurt us with the same forgiveness and grace. Not in order to earn our freedom, but in response to the freedom that has been given to us. One commentary I read on this passage put it like this. Also, if we remember the occasion for telling this parable, Peter's question about how we must forgive a brother, we can see another application. When we find ourselves asking, when can we quit forgiving others, we see a symptom of a much larger problem. We are either forgetting or failing to appreciate just how much we ourselves had been forgiven by God. And this is a grave sin indeed. Now this, of course, is why we need to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. As we pray this line from the Lord's Prayer, perhaps you pray the Lord's Prayer every day. If you don't, um, I really recommend it. It's a great thing to do. As we pray this prayer, as we pray this prayer from the um, Lord's Prayer, these lines, forgive us our sins, we should remember Jesus' teaching from Matthew 18, that we ourselves have been forgiven. That one day we threw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and said, have mercy on me, forgive me, my sin. We should, be remember, we should remember that as we pray this prayer. And so we too should forgive others around us. Now just some practical tips, some application if you like, on how we can go about doing this stuff. And listen, none of this stuff is easy at all. And it may be that as I've been speaking today, as we've been reading these verses, there's just some stuff that's happened to you that is so horrendous and so painful, and so awful that you just don't even know where to begin. You don't even know where to begin with forgiveness, or how do I, how do I forgive that person? How do I even bring it before God in prayer? It's so horrific. It might be that recently you've been through a really painful experience with somebody who's really hurt you, and you're, it's just so tender and sore at the moment that we, it's sometimes just difficult to know what to do, isn't it? Well, remember that Jesus' grace and mercy and love is so wide and high and deep. And his promise is to be with you and to work through this stuff 
with you. So some practical tips on how to pray through this stuff. Um, Firstly, it's a really good idea, I think, in our prayer lives to confess our sin to God in prayer. Now, we often do this in church on a Sunday. In fact, Lee led us through a prayer of confession just earlier on, didn't he? Now, we don't do that to be religious. Sometimes there'll be some words on the screen and we'll pray a liturgical confession. We don't do that to be religious, but we do it because Jesus commanded us to pray to God, forgive us our sins. It's not just something that we do because we're Anglican or because we're in the Church of England, although we do do it because of that. But the reason the Church of England does it is because it reminds us that we are sinful and fallen and yet at the very same time in Jesus loved and accepted. And as we pray prayers of um, repentance in church, you'll hear me usually pray over you what's called an absolution, where I will say something like, may the Father forgive you for your sins, through what Jesus did on the cross, and strengthen you to live in the power of the Spirit now and all of your days. Now again, we, we don't do that to be religious. It's not that I have the power, you know, have the power to withhold forgiveness or not. Only God does that. But the reason that we say those words over you is because it's a promise in the Bible that if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. And so as the leader of the church, I don't pray a prayer asking for God to forgive you. We've asked for God's forgiveness already. So all I'm doing in that moment in the liturgy is saying God has forgiven you because that's his promise to those who say sorry. So make confession a regular part of your daily prayer. Um, I know some people that at the end of each day, they pray, through the, they pray through their day and they ask the Holy Spirit to call to mind the things that they've done that they shouldn't have done, the things that they've said that they shouldn't have said or the things that they should have said that they didn't say. And they just ask for God's mercy and grace and thank him for his love. Now, the people I know that do this usually find this a really joyful and uplifting experience. Because as you say sorry to God for the stuff that's wrong in your life, you become acutely aware of God's grace and mercy and love. This isn't like stuff to beat ourselves over, you know, beat ourselves over the head with a stick with. This reminds us of God's love for us. As Tim Keller put it, I often say this, we we realise, don't we, that we're more sinful and flawed and evil in ourselves than we ever dared believe. But as we confess that stuff, we realise and remember that we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Let's confess our sins. And secondly, as we confess our sins, we remember that God forgives us. And so we too should forgive others. Now, as I've said, we recognise that it's not always easy to forgive those who've hurt us. And that's why we need to bring bring those situations and those people before God in prayer and ask for the Holy Spirit's power to help us to forgive. This parable that Jesus tells is really challenging, isn't it? It's really profound, it's really deep, and it communicates to us the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in before God and with each other. St. Thomas is, is not 
a perfect church. We will get things wrong. I will get things wrong. There'll be times when I've, even without realising it, I've done something and you maybe leave on a Sunday away from a small group or from a church meeting and think, what the chuff was he doing? There'll be times, I'm sure, well, it's rarely happened yet, where, where uh, I might think, what on earth was that person saying to me? Why does he think that about me? Why does she say that about me? And it's just usually a complete misunderstanding. We're not perfect because we're made, the church is made up of human beings. But the call in prayer and the call in Jesus' teaching is to remember that all of us together stand before Jesus, having got things wrong. All of us stand before Jesus, having received his mercy and grace. And so all of us stand before Jesus as a community and we extend that grace and that mercy to others. I think that if we can live out this teaching from Jesus, if we can can really commit to praying for this stuff in prayer, it will have not only the most transformational impact on us as a church family, but on the people that we live with, on the people that we work with, in our schools, and ultimately across the city. Because where, where else, apart from the church, do you see this stuff really lived out? This has the power to transform and to redeem, not just us, not just me, not just us as a church, but the whole city. And so we pray again today, Lord, teach us to pray. And teach us to pray, forgive us our sins. And help us to forgive those who sin against us. Amen. We're going to respond together. Can I invite you to stand where you are? And we'll start, as we often do, just by praying, come Holy Spirit of God. That's just the angels joining in, in heaven. (laughs) Come Holy Spirit of God and set our hearts on fire with love for you. Now we're going to respond really simply today. It may be that as I was speaking, you've realised that there's things in your life that you need to say sorry to God for. It may be that you've realised that you have a debt. For the first time, maybe you've heard that you have a debt that you cannot pay yourself, but that Jesus has offered to pay it for you. So all of us, again, let's just bring before, call before God, just call to mind before God the things in our life that we know we need to say sorry for. Those repeated patterns of behaviour that we just can't escape from. And we pray.
pray again, Father, forgive us. Forgive us our sins. some of us there's some stuff that's just been hidden for ages which we really struggle to confess um, before God and today God wants to bring freedom to that his promise is that if we confess our sins he will forgive in fact Psalm 103 his promise is that he will remove our sin as far as the east is from the west so we pray for freedom for all of us today to confess our sins to our loving heavenly Father. Second way we might want to respond today is that we have realised and there'll be all kinds of different situations in the room today, different stages on the journey that where we are withholding forgiveness from somebody. Look, forgiveness, as I've said, is not easy. Um, It's a choice, but it's not an easy choice to make. It's often a process for people. And so we pray for all of us today who carry some of that stuff, for the Holy Spirit's power to forgive those around us. And as we do that, God sets us free too, because forgiveness holds us, unforgiveness holds us back so much. So you may just want to hold before God those things that you know you're really struggling with, the people that you're really struggling with, and ask for the Holy Spirit's power to enable you to begin that journey of forgiveness today. respond with in just a moment but before she does um, just two things to say firstly if you want prayer about anything perhaps some of the stuff that I've said today has really um, landed somewhere that's really quite difficult or sore for you or um, it's just touched on something that you really need prayer for or you just want to thank God that he's so full of love and grace and mercy for you and you want to come before him in prayer today and say thank you Lord for the amazing grace that you have shown me Um, we'd love to pray for you today so if that is you if you want to make your way just down to um, this side area over here there'll be some people that would love to pray for you the second thing is I'm going to pray some words of forgiveness over over you and I'm going to speak the Father's forgiveness over all of over all of us who have professed with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and have repented and believed in his good news and receive these words I'm not you know, in a sense, as I said, I'm not praying these over you. I'm speaking them over you because it's a biblical promise that when we confess our sins, God forgives. So church, may the Father forgive you by the death of his Son and strengthen you now to live in the power of his Spirit now and all your days.